All right, guys. Welcome back. It's obviously been a bit, but we're all pretty busy guys. So the trio for today is me, Hunter slash Danilo, and Ben. Um, Hunter's coming off of a fantastic prep, but he's got even more to do. Ben is coming up on his big old pro run for the Open. I'm getting over a sickness, and I'm just here to shoot the shit with the boys. So we're going to do a little bit of an uh, Olympia recap, and then we got some Q&As for you. So Ben, Hunter, me, we all have some strong opinions about some of the interesting things we've seen on social media going around, probably especially around some of the open guys, some of the haters, some of the, some of the shit. You guys have ranted about it. Ben, you probably ranted about it the most, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you have your pie and eat it too. Start us off, bro. Get as angry as you want. I'm I'm here for it today. <laughs> uh, well, what do we even want to start with? Like, do you want to talk about the placings with the open? Yeah, everyone's like kind of shitting on Derek in a sense, and like, oh, he should have won. Oh, he should have. It's just like, oh, he shouldn't have. I don't understand why that's even up for debate. Like, I. I could see how you could make a case for it. I mean, obviously, like, I wasn't there either, but we do know people that were, and we've spoken to them, and it's just an overwhelming response of Hadi was not as conditioned as Derek. Derek's a prettier, more, you know, complete physique. It doesn't really look like Hadi's kind of wonky looking in some areas. Not that he's not good. He's really good, no doubt. But if you're comparing the two, I think anybody with – you know, basic knowledge of bodybuilding should be able to tell you, oh, yeah, Derek looks better. Like, it's not really up for debate. I don't understand why people have an issue with it. Um, but, you know, emotions get pretty heavy with uh, with placings, for sure. If your guy doesn't win, then, uh, you know, people kind of go off. But what do you guys think about the top two? Well, Hunter, you were there. We were both there in person. Well, you yeah. were more towards the front, though, I think. So you probably well, and I were very, very fun. close to the stage. So, yeah. we, I mean, we when Derek came up, it's like, we both looked at each other and we're like, yeah, he's going to win. <laughs> it's just like, there's kind of like, it's like, it was like a no-brainer thing. And the thing is, it's he made more improvements than Hottie did. And when you come back as, like, the reigning champ, if you, if someone else, like, Derek was on his toes last year, if he makes more improvements than you do as a champion, it's like he, he's going to move up a spot and you're going to win. That's just how bodybuilding is, right? Like if you don't make enough improvements, it's like Chris with Ramon. If Ramon made, he made a lot of improvements. If he made maybe a little bit more, he might have been able to beat Chris, but he didn't because Chris still improved. So it's like stuff like that, I think people are overlooking in the sense like, yeah, Hottie might have won a couple shots, but Derek overall won the whole yeah. show. And I mean, I, you know, to be fair, most of the people commenting on these things don't know their ass from their mouth. So, I mean, they don't really know what they're talking about anyway. So <laughs> it just it frustrates me to read comments about just such ignorance. It's like, I don't know, like, do you even know the sport? Like, have you looked into it at all? Why are you putting your opinion out like that when you don't know anything? It just it's frustrating. I will play devil's advocate for one second, and I guess slightly disagree with one thing you said, Ben, in the beginning. You said yeah. you basically said Derek looks more more conditioned than Hottie. The way that I saw it, and I think most people would agree with this, Derek was more conditioned overall, and he had the glute lines necessary to be an open bodybuilder or even classic champion at this point. 
But in the core, Potty has the best core in the entire fucking sport. I don't think any, yeah. well, at least for open. And I don't think anyone would really argue with that. And I think he played it even more to his strengths this year with his posing. So he was able to show it off better. But I mean, I think he would have had to add a ton of arm size just because his insertions are so short. His arms just do, to me, look small compared to the rest of his physique, which I think does not help him. And I think Derek doesn't really have any glaring weak spots like that. I think it just, if anything, he just looked a tiny, tiny, tiny bit watering his core, but it was still so much better than last year that the improvements that he made just made him an overall better competitor than Hottie was this year. And obviously people had some super strong emotional attachment to Hottie, which is fine. But I honestly personally think Hottie should maybe have made more of a statement like, hey, guys, let's chill out with the uh, death threats and stuff. Like, that's really shitty. I don't know. I don't want to be too controversial here, but obviously tensions with the Middle East are pretty fucking high right now. So that's going to add to people wanting to root for Hottie that are from there even more. They're his hero. This is all relevant. And I think it just got taken to a really extreme place. And when I just watched Derek's video where he's talking about the death threats and threats to his family and all this shit, I'm like, yeah, we should probably speak out about this. Um, The sport should probably publicly speak out about this. I'm really glad that Derek's speech was great and that he championed for some awesome values. And I think it almost in the sense was even more a slap to the face of some of Hottie's competitors because he literally said, I hope this sport becomes an even more, was it Christ-involved sport or something like that. So he didn't mince words. He he was very much firmly standing for what he believes in. I think that added fuel to the fire, but I don't dislike that. I think it makes it exciting and everything, but the reaction that some of Hottie's bad fans, because everyone is good at mad fans, have had is fucking ridiculous. It's unacceptable. So that was just one thing I needed to get off my mind. Yeah, it is. And I mean, you know, as somebody with so much attention, both of them, Hadi and Derek, they have very large uh, fan bases. You know, you have to conduct yourself a certain way and you have to actually take responsibility for your followers. Because if you have so many people that are backing you, and they're being generally pieces of shit, it's up to you to really say something. And if you don't, in my opinion, that's on you. That's not good. You you need to understand when to step in and tell people to chill out. And if you don't, I mean, you're you're just as much to blame. I, I, I really, really don't agree with, you know, like you were saying, the death threats and all the, the negativity in that. Like, it's a bodybuilding competition. It's not life or death. It's not war. You know, it's not a religious debate. It's it's a bodybuilding competition. So nobody needs to be threatening anybody. I, I really don't understand why it gets to that. Yeah. Um, I think Samson is next in line to be the person who could take Derek out. I don't think Hottie's going to come back. I think Samson is the one that could really push him. I think if he just maintains his current size, maybe gets the lats even crazier, adds a little bit of thickness to the back, and then just comes in a lot harder next year. Oh, I think it's going to be a really, really fun battle between him and Lunsford. What do you guys think about that? I think it. I think that will happen. I also, I don't know, it's hard because Samson, he started to sweat really bad posing, and Derek's posing was flawless. It's like he needs to condition his posing more, I think. 
Yeah. But also, it might be because he's 300 pounds in the situation. <laughs> you can't really control that. You can only control it to a certain point. But I definitely think that's like in the books for next year and the year after. Yeah, I think it's possible. Um, probable? I don't think. I mean, the way I'm looking at it, Samson's older. His career is, you know, closer to being done than Derek. And, you know, being older may help him you know, get harder in that, but he's just got a physique with some very thick skin and, you know, to get that graininess that he would need to, to take Derek out, you know, I kind of hope he can do that. Do I think he will? Not really. I don't really see a world where Samson's conditioned enough to take Derek out. Very impressive, stupid amount of muscle, like, super great bodybuilder obviously like i really like his physique i really like everything about it but to take out the champ who's hard as nails uh you got to be pretty fucking dry if you want to take Derek out because Derek's not um lacking in bubbliness at all so i mean i i don't know i is it possible maybe i just i don't really see it happening but he could be second for a long time well, obviously Lunsford's just bubbly because he puts SEOs in his armpits, Ben. Don't you listen to Instagram? <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Oh, <laughs> the argument didn't even make any fucking sense. It's just, it's reaching so far and it just cracks me up. Yeah, I, didn't even, I didn't even notice it until people started posting it. And then I was I was like, okay, like, sure, he did it. But like, why is every bodybuilding page or just every person like knocking him for it? I don't even seos how do you get an identical lump on each side i don't know there, there's like some top coaches that will claim that like every person on the open stage uses it and just uses it some and i'm like i don't know some of the guys are just granite through and through i would think that it would be hard to use any noticeable amount and not to blur the lines and then also it's like you can cause borderline necrotic tissue if you overuse it so it's like some of these guys are early on in their careers, like Lunsford, for example. I'm like, sure, maybe they use it. Maybe that's something that Hani does with some of the guys. I mean, Hani most likely used some in his delts before, and they're coached, they're both coached by Hani, so it's entirely possible. Um, but I don't know. I thought the certainty with which people are saying it and yeah, the the amount of attention that it got was just reaching to hate on Lunsford, but totally out of proportion. Yeah. I, I I, but, like, also, why would he even need to add anything there? That's what I'm saying. It's such a weird spot. It wouldn't, like, if there was somewhere where he was going to add it, I don't think it would be literally up in his armpit. His Terry's major and lats are maybe the freakiest thing on him. Maybe maybe it's his legs. I don't know. But I'm like, I don't think that's where he would have put it. And so, no. yeah. I mean, it is true. A lot of people do use it at that level. Like, that's not a false statement. But, you know, to put it in his in his lats like that, like, I just, I just don't think he would even need to do that. And also, you're not going to get an identical look side to side like that with, with using that. Like, it, it's just that that area up in there, like, it's too obvious if you have it there, you're going to notice some slight discrepancy from side to side. So, I, I think it's really silly that we're even talking about this, but <laughs> we can move on. We can move on. Um, no, 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 you're you're good. Like I, I'm, we need to because everybody is. So I'd like to put our take out there. But I think the 
the lymph node uh, theory is a little bit more accurate, in my opinion. I, I don't think we even needed to discuss this as an industry at all. I think it's stupid. But if that if you want to talk about it, I think that's like more realistic. I'm down to talk about the lymph node thing. Have you? So I this was more so from an autoimmune issue a few months ago. But I literally thought that I like re-aggravated a hernia because my lymph nodes in areas close to where I've actually had hernias before were like pushing out. Have you guys ever gotten test flu so bad or just pinned a bunch of trend or anything and had your lymphatic system freak out so bad that you've had lymph nodes actually pop out to any noticeable degree like that? Cause it's, it's fucking weird. Just me. I'm the one who's done the dumbest shit. <laughs> no, no, I've had some weird shots, but I've, I don't think I've ever had my lymphatic system freak out. I had one where I did my tricep and my whole arm like went red right after, like immediately after I did it. So I must have hit like a nerve or something. Like it was weird. It was literally like a tan line from here all the way to my wrist. And it was just like bright red, like right after the shot. It didn't happen overnight. And it, it burned like shit. Like it really burned and hurt. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And it didn't go away for like minutes. Like it was like three minutes or something. It was just stinging. And I'm like, what in the hell is this? I thought I had to go to the hospital, but it went away and then it, I was fine. I must've just hit a nerve or something. Yeah. How long did that take to go away? Cause I would have been freaking out. No, it didn't last. Like it, it dissipated after a few minutes and then the redness went down and it was fine. Like it, it, there wasn't even like a, a post injection irritation or anything like that. It was just like that day when I did it. Gotcha. But, yeah, it must have been a nerve or something. I just nicked it. Yeah. Um, cool. So we talked about all the drama, all our takes on everything that our five fans will care deeply about. Let's get into the more perhaps broadly applicable stuff. Um, question coming from a buddy, Matt Hammer, M underscore Hammer 21. Advice maintaining diet slash training protocols while traveling. I figured this would be a pretty good one for us three to get into uh, because I tend to just avoid traveling when I need to be the most strict. I think it's hard to fly with PDs. Um, I can try to meal prep as much like I'll meal prep proteins and stuff and then bring like microwavable rice with me. But my system for being ridiculously strict with it when I'm traveling is I don't think nearly as strict as you two guys. And then Ben, I know you sometimes have GI issues, but then Hunter, you're like, you've been traveling, traveling, traveling and staying really on point while you're prepping. Um, so I kind of want to sit back at least in the beginning and hear, how do you guys go about meal prepping before travel? How do you go about transporting it during travel? Or maybe how do you go about meal prepping once you get to where you are, Airbnbs versus hotels, all that shit, get on into it. You, uh, you just traveled, uh, Hunter, so go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, with, like, being in prep, like, if I was in my off-season, I would, like, pack a meal with me, and then it's just, like, if there's, like, a Chick-fil-A or something, then I'll, like, get, like, something, like, cleaner from that. But with prep, um, I basically just – I cooked up enough chicken and bison to where, like, I'd be good for at least, like, a day or two, and I just put it in my carry-on bag just because it's, it's fine for a couple hours. It, it's not going to be, like – hot in the bag and then depending on my flight time i'll like when i flew from tampa to chicago i ate a meal like right before i left like i finished it and then got in the uber and went and then i had a meal for the flight 
And then I just, like I said, bulk pack my proteins. Um, and obviously I'm staying with my girlfriend too. So it's like, it's easy to prep food and stuff here, but I try to avoid hotels as much as I can, unless there's like an area to cook food. So that's why I think Airbnbs are a lot better, but I mean, it's like I tell my clients too, it's really not hard to travel and stay on track. Like prep, like if you don't want to bulk prep stuff, prep like three meals with you and bring them with you in your check bag or not your check bag and your carry on. So. Yeah, and then you can just go to the grocery store when you get there. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. yeah, taking the actual food is not that difficult. Um, my issue is when I travel, my gut just doesn't move. Like, I can't shit. I, like, it takes me a second once I get there to get things going again. So for people like that, my advice would be just to eat lighter. Like, I know that your diet might say that you need to have 400 grams of carbs, but... If you're going to be flying, I'd maybe even just do like no carb or very little just so that there's not very much for your body to process. And it's not going to just compound and pile up in your system. Um, and then once you get there, just sort of maintain a, a, a routine and a structure so that you can sort of get your get yourself back in order. Sleep is huge, too. Um, you know, whenever we're traveling, we're probably not sleeping as much as we need to. So. The sooner you can get a full night's rest um, after traveling, your gut is going to cooperate a lot better. If you're sleep deprived, you're really not going to be going to the bathroom too efficiently. <laughs> so, yeah, um, any pooping problems, I've probably had them. So, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, my I mean, that's how my traveling was because I basically I had my show. I had like five days to just kind of be off plan and do whatever I want. And then yeah. the following week, I traveled, but I made a rookie mistake of hitting legs the day before I flew. Ooh. So then I flew on Thursday. I get in. I wake up. I think it was like my weight just started going up. Saturday morning, I was 242, and today I'm 231. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's the thing, too, is don't hit legs the day before the day of you fly because it's just going to make you retain a lot more water. And then, like Ben said, too, with food um like for me when i travel to dallas i'm gonna eat right before and just not eat on the flight and just keep my water high and like i keep sodium basically out when flying too just so i'm not retaining any water yeah and i mean not to mention too if you do legs the night before you're gonna be very uncomfortable in those tight ass seats yeah. so yeah don't do that yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say, Ben. Um, my back gets tight as shit. I mean, Ben, you push on my back, so you know my QLs will get tight, my erectors will get tight, my hips will get tight, and then I'm just fucked for the next week. So, <laughs> if you're hitting legs a day before you're traveling, stretch a lot. Like, be that weirdo that stretches in the airport. Be that like we're already looked at by everyone. We're already all big enough that we get stared at all the time anyway. Make it for something cool. Put on a show. Do some weird stretches. Get your hips loose. So. There's my advice. Um, I think you guys already covered everything else with the basic stuff. Um, da, 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 da. Way different topic. Intensity versus volume or a mix of both. Now, obviously, this is coming from someone who's more of a beginner because we know it's already going to be a mix, but maybe I'll rephrase it. Um, when you guys are explaining to perhaps an intermediate uh, online client of yours, or even someone in person, how do you go about explaining, you know, just how intense 
their sets need to be? How do you explain like, hey, this is how we make it, you know, where these sets are actually effective. Um, this is how many sets we use in order to actually get an appreciable amount of this exercise. Um, I know how I approach it with people, but how do you guys tend to word it or show people how to do it? Usually, yeah. like, okay. Um, so, I mean, volume is going to depend on the client, especially just with recovery too, because some people can do a shit ton of volume and be fine. Some people can't do that. They just can't recover. Like intent, you can make, I mean, you can make a 10 pound weight feel like 50 pounds with intensity. And so that's why I think it's a lot easier to visually show someone mainly how fast the movement is. So like your eccentric and concentric motions. Cause a lot of people like Luke just posted on a story yesterday of him doing hamstring curls, lying hamstring curls and keeping it a constant, like him going up and squeezing and holding it and then coming down slow versus just swinging the weight. You're not going to be able to do as much weight doing that, but the intensity is going to be a lot better because you're controlling the movement all the time. So I think control of the movement plays in with the intensity, I would say. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Number of sets, like you said, it, it, it really just depends. It's not really something that you can just tell somebody. I can't look at you and be like, you need 15 sets. It, it just, you'll just have to figure it out through trial and error. But um, intensity versus volume, that like debate that everybody seems to have, you know, both like <laughs> you, you should never not be intense. I don't believe with, with your training, with sets that you're actually counting, um, you know, you also have to take into account risk versus reward. You know, if you're doing a, a deadlift or a squat and, you know, you want to get another rep, but it's maybe not the best idea. Don't do that. If you're on a safe exercise, fucking let it rip. Like hamstring curl, you're locked in, you're in a machine. It's very safe. Like go as far as you can. Really what you're looking for, for sets that you're actually counting towards your workout, you don't want to have a, a rep left over. Like, you, what why <laughs> you know like then you just got to do another set like the amount of volume that you do can be so low if you're putting enough effort in to each set that you know you're not wasting time you're conserving your energy and you're making you know good use of the time that you're in there so it's you know it, like intensity should always be there i don't think that that should ever be a debate for yes or no it's like always that's how you make progress so yeah yeah, how I how I define volume for most people, just to make it the most simple, is the number of working sets. So the number of sets where you're either getting close to failure, to failure, or beyond failure. So beyond failure, you'd have to use four straps or drop sets, rest pause sets, some sort of intensifier. And it's it's so true. It's like if you are able to actually take sets to an extreme place, like actually to failure or past it, and you can kind of just hold it there for a long time, then you're in that effective range. You're not actually using the, the fast twitch fibers that actually grow the most until you're at least close to failure. So once you get in that range, you might as well rock it out as much as you can safely. Like safety is the only limiting factor at that point. So like one thing that mm -hmm. I'm doing lately is to kind of work on the whole progressive overload, which can be defined in a lot of ways, but you know, to be able to track how my reps and weight are going over time. I'll do like one, you want to call it top set, whatever, where I'm actually tracking that. And then sometimes for that movement, I'll just be doing one second set, but I'm getting the stimulus of like 10 sets to failure out of that second set. 
because say for leg extensions, for example, I need like one set of like 12 to 15. I'm like, cool. This week I got seven plates for 16 reps last week. It was only 14. Yay. Good job. So I can objectively say I'm getting stronger, progressively overland, whatever. Second set is just fucking destroyed as much as possible. Just get it to the range where it is in a failure and hold it there as much as possible. You're naturally not going to have to use much weight to do that, but you can turn a set into like eight minutes where seven whole minutes of it, you're at failure past it. If you do that, now that's a pretty extreme fatiguing amount of time to do it, but I love doing that with isolation work. And honestly, it just saves me so much time in the gym. And I know that it's an extreme case, but have you guys ever tried any protocols like that, whether it be with you or a client where it's really just like two sets, first one's a top set, if you want to call it that. Second set is just destroy yourself for an extended period of time. Yeah. Um, I've been doing that a lot recently, actually, because I need to bring up my arms and my adductors and hamstrings. So those are my priorities throughout the week. Everything else I'm trying to do as little as I can, like presses, pulls, anything like that. My chest days, I think I do maybe like eight sets for chest and then I move on. But that's four exercises, two sets a piece. I'll start out the beginning, do a really like heavy press, nice, like, you know, obviously warm up and everything and make sure you're good. First heavy press, whatever. And then flies, do like two sets on that. But the second set on it, I'm doing like rest pause and a drop. So that set's like pretty big and I'm under stress for a lot of time. And then the third thing, I'll do a straight set, like you were saying, and then I do a cluster. It's another press, but I'll do a cluster on it. So the set itself is probably like two and a half minutes or maybe even more than that. But it's like, okay, I only got to do two. <laughs> and then I can move on and work on my arms because I stimulated my chest enough to be able to keep it, maybe grow a little bit more there, like not as much, because I'm not trying to grow a lot in certain areas. I want to put it in specific spots. So yeah, um, you can definitely cut down on time if you use that technique. I've done that for sure. Yeah, I usually, what I usually do is I'll just do as much, like as many feeder sets as I need. And then I'll do either a top heavy, like, a top set and then i'll do that like go all out or i'll do an all out set with the back offset so it's just dependent on the movement um right now i'm not going like crazy crazy with weight but i'm still trying to keep intensity there just with like peaking like to a third show and like being as close as i am like weight is something that i can't really it's i'm not trying to injure myself right but yeah i still like with the intensity thing doing that but I haven't I haven't done a lot of the all-out stuff. I still have my top sets to where I take them to failure, but not like that extreme case. Um, I can't do that with legs because my legs get very inflamed very quick. So I have to be very careful with that. Upper body training, I could probably do that with, so I might play around with that my offseason. Yeah. Got it. Next yeah. You're, you're in a very different scenario. You're very lean at the end of your prep. You're just really managing fatigue and trying to retain muscles. So yeah, in your situation or anybody that is in his situation, no, you shouldn't be training like super crazy hard, generate a ton of fatigue, but in an off season setting, what Jensen and I were saying is that's for sure what you're going to need to do to put more on. It takes a lot more effort to put extra muscle on than it does to keep what you already have. And I think people forget that a lot. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you kind of just answered the next question I was going to ask for us to answer for people, which is like, you know, obviously in a prep, that's a pretty clear case of, okay, too much can be too much. <laughs> um, but do you guys think there's any way to take a set, like the, the second set that I was describing with all the intensifiers for like five minutes or whatever? Is there any point where you think like, eh, I don't know, that's too much from one set or you're just like busting your load too early for the rest of the workout. Like I love doing an insane amount of leg extensions with that crazy second set. Um, but kind of on purpose, it reduces the amount of weight I can use on my hack squats. And people have different theories about, you know, if you need to focus on making sure that you're progressively overloading for trackability purposes on your compound movements, you know, sometimes you need to quote unquote save energy for those big heavy compounds, make sure your glycogen is not depleted. Plenty of different theories of how this could go out there. But for me, I don't, if I'm in the off season and I'm very well fueled and I'm having intracarbs, and especially if I've had some insulin with my pre-lift meal, maybe some GH in there, like I'm still pumped. I'm still feeling strong. I can still hit PRs from like four weeks earlier, no matter how much I just throw my quads and leg extensions before the hack squats. And also the leg extensions, it's like, I'm mostly focused on training the quads through their most shortened position at that point, but that's at least where it's hardest in the movement and we're emphasizing it at the very, very top. But with the hex squats, it's more emphasizing the length of position. Like your quads are getting a really deep stretch at the bottom. It's usually hardest at the bottom. So for me, I'm just like, all right, well, even if it maybe takes away a 1% of how much I can get out of my hacks, my theory is the movement's already so different that I'm still able to kind of maximize them that way. And the progress on hacks strength-wise can almost be a limiting factor for how much I can grow my quads if I don't do things to limit the amount of weight that I can use because I can get too strong in them too fast and my connective tissue can't keep up. What are your guys' thoughts on just examples like that or that specific example if you've tried that out in different ways? Um, I think, you know, given – if your joints, connective tissue, everything feel good, you don't have a problem with that. Um, you're in an off-season setting. you got plenty of fuel, like lots of glycogen floating around. I think you should prioritize a heavier set in the beginning like that and not take away from it with a leg extension like that. But you have your joints. You know, If you're going to get into that set and it's going to hurt and you're not really going to be targeting the muscle, you can't really – move on the muscle because you have too much pain surrounding your joints, then yeah, I think you should really pre-exhaust a little bit more beforehand so that you can actually do the exercise and use it the way you're supposed to. Um, you know, don't prioritize load if your body's not cooperating, but if you can get in there and like you're healthy, everything's feeling good. Like, I think you should really just hold off on the, like, I'm not saying don't do leg extensions. I think that's great because it brings your mind to where you need to be, but maybe hold off on that if you're totally healthy and can get away with it because really if you can do a hack squat set with a lot of weight control it looks beautiful that's going to help you more than if you pre-exhaust with leg extensions and then use less weight on the hack squat you know as to how much more it'll help who the fuck knows like no one's done a study on that i don't know i don't think it's ever possible to have a study on that with how many variables there are um to each their own. But in my opinion, if you can do it safely, you should in the beginning to really stress it out with a big load. 
Oh, I hate how that sounded. <laughs> stress it out, not stretch it out. It's fine. <laughs> I, I I love everything you just said. And like to kind of summarize it, it's like prioritize the load when you can. That's what she said. But for real, it's like that's I think that was a really, really good balanced way of looking at it. Hunter, do you have anything to add to that one? No, I think Ben kind of pretty much hit everything on the on the head okay. with that one. I mean, that was like a pretty good explanation of everything. Yeah, I think I think you justified me going heavy today. <laughs> what is it? I think you just justified me going a little bit heavier on hacks today, or if I decide to train tomorrow after being sick. So. Look, I I don't want to fix too many more problems. You already have enough, so <laughs> don't ruin. I can't even but... fix my knees if I fuck those up. How are you gonna push on my knees? <laughs> but uh, yeah um what was i gonna say Shit. ah never mind i lost it i don't know where it went good here's a um here's an interesting one and i don't know exactly what he meant by this so this is kind of open-ended i'll provide a little bit of context on him after i read it it says Blocking androgen effects on cycle, dot, 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 anything for hyper responders to suppress them. So I think he's saying he's getting sides and he's looking for specific ways to suppress them. But he's saying androgen sides, not estrogen sides. Or he's a hyper responder, though, and he's just getting a bunch of side effects because that's not how it works. Yeah, no. that's exactly. There's a bigger topic here. So, all right. When, so we should try to briefly explain the whole lock and key thing with hormones. So when hormones are floating around your body, guys, they have very, very, very broad and sometimes long-term effects. They're not a very acute thing, but for them to enact most of their effects, most of the times they have to actually bind to a receptor and activate the cascade of shit that happens when they bind to that receptor. Different things can compete for the same receptor. So androgen receptors there's a lot of different things that compete for it. So if you have your natural test, that's going to be the thing that most naturally binds for androgen receptors. If you're taking, but DHT, dihydrogen testosterone, which testosterone can convert to through the 5-alpha reductase enzyme, can also compete for that. DHT can also compete with estrogen, which is test, at least in guys, test aromatase enzyme, then turns it into estrogen. You all need specific balance. The DHT and the estrogen can battle for each other. A lot of the times... What happens, I think, with sides is if you're getting quote unquote estrogen sides, you're getting quote unquote androgen sides, if you want to call it DHT based sides that or whatever, it's it's an imbalance or there's just too much shit floating around because there's only so much that can be attached. So if you're a hyper responder, you would probably have enough androgen receptors that the shit that you're taking, if it's not extreme, is actually well used and you wouldn't be having sides as much from the other shit floating around or there being an imbalance. Now, there's a whole thing that we can get into with aromatase inhibitors. So it's inhibiting the ability for the aromatase enzyme that converts testosterone into estrogen to work. So if you have quote unquote estrogen sides, you can bring that down. Since DHT and estrogen can compete for some of the same receptors though, at least in theory, if you introduce a PED model that has perhaps a higher amount of androgenic substances, so the DHT heavy substances, versus the aromatizing, so the estrogen-heavy substances, that might be able to balance it out some as well because the DHT is going to have a CIRM-like effect, so selective estrogen receptor modulator-like effect, where the estrogen is floating around, 
is just going to basically bounce off of the receptor that the DHT is already bound to. DHT binds pretty strong to receptors. So that's one way to handle it. You still can have higher circulating estrogen though. So when you're looking at blood work, it's not really going to show you the full picture. So there's a lot of different shit going around here, but basically just, just lower the dose and figure out a better ratio of your estrogen to DHT. And then I'll let you guys talk with one other thing I'll throw in there too. And this is kind of anecdotal, but it logically makes sense to me. When we're going through puberty and we're getting sides, especially apnea and such, because I know that this is one of the sides that he's he's dealt with before, because I know the guy personally. Some of it I don't think is just the total amount of like testing your body or bound test, unbound test, any of that. I think some of it is due to the levels changing so much. And some of that is going to be the conversion to estrogen. Some of that's going to be the conversion to DHT. But I think some of it is just the levels in general changing so much and not just the total amount. Because when guys are done with puberty, our acne is usually going away. But our test is still the highest that it's ever been for many years. And we're not dealing with the acne as much. But the process of ramping up to that much testosterone and probably higher estrogen than when we were boys and definitely higher DHT than when we were boys, that DHT continues to go up. The process of getting there is what tends to cause most of the signs. So that was a lot, but do you guys have anything to add to like that advanced open-ended question? I mean, you could see, I don't know if you guys have ever tried finasteride for DHT effects or anything. That's kind of a interesting double-edged sword right there. Well, I, I think kind of you touched on most of it, um, but it's like side effects usually happen when your levels are all skewed or if it's dirty gear or if you're not hygienic enough or if your diet's off. So there's a lot of things that go into it, but I think the biggest one is definitely with um, like frequency of pinning too. Like if you're doing 500 tests and 600 primo and like, and you're only pinning that like twice a week, your levels are going to be a lot more skewed versus if you're pinning it every single day, you might have a lot less side effects, which I know people pinning every day sucks, but it's like, would you rather have more stable blood work with little side effects or like, it's like, it's pick and choose what you want. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's anytime there's, you know, a large increase or decrease. Like whenever I come off of everything and kind of go down to a pretty low amount after a prep, I break out like a motherfucker. Like I just, I get all kinds of side effects after preps, but during the prep, when I'm taking all the shit, I'm fine. Everything's fine. My skin's clear. Like my head's clear. Like I'm good. But then afterwards, once the whole load comes way down, that's when my body freaks out. And for a lot of people too, it's when they first get on it too. So it's, yeah, it's just like any sort of big up or down. So the more you can keep things consistent, the less side effects you're going to have. And in the case of this person, you know, thinking maybe they're a hyper responder or anything based off of the logic they're using, use less. Like if you're having issues, but you're growing like hyper responding, but you're getting side effects, you need less <laughs> because it's working clearly, but you might have too much in there. And that's why you're having side effects. When you guys are running through a growth, because this kind of relates, when you guys are running through a growth phase, um, whether it's your coach giving it to you or I know that, Phil kind of lets like Ben, you kind of handle a lot of stuff on your own during the growth phase. Then he comes back in and gets super detail oriented during preps because obviously he knows what you're doing a lot already. Um, <laughs> you guys pre plan 
the cycle with the anabolics, like, all right, this many weeks, I'm going to do exactly this, this many weeks, I'm going to do exactly this, this many weeks, I'm going to do exactly this. Because when I first got into this shit, that was kind of how people did it. Um, but with the Victor Black safer use model, with the J3U guys, with a lot of other educators out there, they are definitely pushing more of a, like, just start really small with a minimal effective dose and then titrate up as you need it. I personally get way less sides when I use that. And I would have to run some math, but I think I end up using less anabolics over the course of a long growth phase when I do that. But then there's also the theory of like, well, you only want to be on for so long. So maybe you should push it a little bit harder while you're on. because you have to eventually completely come off. So the longer exposure model with titrating isn't ideal. What do you guys think about those two different approaches or a blend of them? Um, Cause I'm pretty open to opinions on it, but I just, I just tend to get less sides when I'm just really gradual with ramping up. But some people are like, well, I don't feel any difference when I'm slowly ramping up. And I'm like, okay, but. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah. a blend is fine. Like if you want to do maybe a blend of it, we usually pre-plan and I'll even sometimes be like, eh, I'm going to do less than that. And the coach is like, okay, that's fine. And it usually ends up working out my favor. Cause it's like, like Ben was saying, Hey, it's like if you know you don't need a lot because if you ran a little bit more in the past and you feel like shit then it's like okay we well, don't need that much like i don't need to go over 500 tests it's just stupid to do that like that's like my sweet spot and then again you do like four to six hundred primo that's like all i need in an off season versus people are throwing in like they're doing like two three four grams of shit and it's like you might not need that much yeah. And also too, like in an off season setting, I, I, I really like that. I like, you know, test master on test primo, just really simple, nice and safe. Like you got to think also that I, th I think people really, really don't think about this. You're eating a lot of food. Your saturated fat is probably pretty high. You're probably not eating like the healthiest combination of macros. So your blood work's going to be skewed from that. So do you really want to put in some harsh compounds and make your health even worse? At least in prep, you're doing cardio, your diet's very clean. Every other aspect is taken care of. So if you go and take some trend, it's going to have less catastrophic, catastrophic events for you. But if you're in the off season, you're almost like you're stronger, but you're almost weakened because you're eating so much. You're not living as healthy in other aspects. So maybe the PED side of things you might want to chill out with and kind of try to get away with as little as you can because all the other aspects are going crazy. Um, that's kind of how I like to think about that. In terms of titrating, um, I never used to, but I tried it this year and I did enjoy it. Definitely because I didn't have to use very much in the beginning part of my push. You know, I really, really hate pinning. Um, not because I'm afraid of it. It's just tedious and I really fucking hate doing it. So using less, like it feels great because you can just, oh, look, fucking one CC, done. That's it. And it's beautiful. You move on with your life. But um, also in terms of how much you need, that can change throughout your career um you know in the beginning parts of it yeah definitely err on the side of caution like use as little as you can because if you're trying to plan out a long career where let's say your goal is to get like to the olympia stage first of all don't be thinking about that if you're just starting out bodybuilding you want to sort of start slow but let's say your big goal is you want to get there 
maybe don't take everything in the kitchen sink starting out, you know, like keep it low. But after a while, once you get to, let's say you're like 250 pounds, you know, pretty lean, you're going to have to use a little more if you want to get it up there, you know, because your body's not going to want to go there. So like, yes, you need to eat more. You need to train more. You need more time. But there will also be a time when you just need to take more. And I'm not condoning that. Most of you don't. But, you know, there is a time, too, where the inevitable happens when these guys need more because their bodies are not going to keep going up because it's not supposed to be like that. You know, we're messing out of me. No, no, go ahead. Phil, you talked about how he was he said this was like light too for open bodybuilders. He was running, he's like, yeah, I was running one and a half grams of test a week. And that's like on the lighter side. I'm like, if that's the lighter side, then like, what are the other open bodybuilders? Running? Like two, two and a half. That's just test only too. Where are you even putting that? Yeah. How do you not just build up so much scar tissue that that almost becomes a limiting factor at that point? I mean, I, I from cheese a times a week. It's like, and I'm like, hey, and we're through it. Okay, cool. But like, yeah. how do you pin that much? I know they make test 500, but like it's supposed to be incredibly Ooh. painful after you pin. So I'm like, even with that, like that wouldn't work. So where, where, where are they doing it, bro? <laughs> like, a bunch of body work and break up the scar tissue as frequently as they can. Maybe. But there's uh there's also the the case where another thing I want to want to touch on. Yes, you have to use more the bigger and bigger you get. But let's say you get to your point where you want to be like, okay, I'm pretty big. I can compete as a pro. I have everything I need. That's when you can use less because it's all there. You don't need to push dosages to put on crazy amounts of weight. That's when you can use less. So ideally, and this is not me speaking. This is stuff I've learned from Mr. Phil, but um, you know, ideally you want to use more when you're younger. So let's say you're starting out when you're 20, 21, whatever in your twenties, try to get away with it, you know, put the muscle on, use higher dosages than maybe you're comfortable with. And then by the time you're in your thirties, when your body's less um, resilient, you can use less, keep what you have and stay healthier um, rather than the other way around. <clears throat> yep. That's, that's an idea that I've heard going around for sure. And I mean, I think as we all get older, it's like, we do realize your body is just less resilient and like you can handle. I mean, I just know with training back in the day, I could handle so much more stupid shit than I can now. So I'm, I'm pretty sure drugs would work the same way, just how it goes. Um, yeah, uh, my dick worked a lot better when I was 18, too. Ah, uh, that's okay. We'll fix it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you the good old penis pump protocol. Good old. Ah. Little triple P. It's a TCY special just for you. <laughs> 500, 500 bucks a month, one session a month. Um, all right. So to finish us off, since we probably coming up on an hour, uh, Hunter, you put on the question: Buck Mary kill sushi burgers taco. I, I got my answer. I think I'm gonna have to marry sushi just because I could have sushi every day. And it's you can make it really healthy, but you can also make it really high calorie. I mean, when you're super fucking hungry or haven't had a burger in a long time, you need it sometimes. You know, that's just like uh, that's that's going to have to be the fuck one. And then I am sorry to all my Hispanic and Latino and Latina friends that I know, but I'm going to have to kill tacos just because I can't live without the other two. That's my answer. 
Is that yours too? Yeah. <laughs> We're all in the same, same thing. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Well, then we'll do one more since that was just way too easy. <laughs> Let's explain our reasoning, though. Well, sushi is like, like, yeah, burgers are great and everything, but like, if you're eating them all the time, you're probably not going to feel the best. Sushi, I could slam a bunch of sushi four times a week and feel fine. I have the best analogy, and it's awful. <laughs> but, Alyssa, listen, none of this is real. It's fake. It's a joke. But sushi is that super hot, beautiful girl that you could live your whole life with. It goes a long time, you know. She's fucking you every day. Like, that's happy times, you know. The burger is for my gentlemen who haven't been laid in a year. And you're like, oh, look at that burger over there. That looks fucking great. And that's the one you fuck. And then tacos is that fat bitch walking around downtown just trying to get lucky. You killed that one. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Man, you're going to be such a good dad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> These are life lessons that uh, that that I could have used growing up. I would have had a much more much more clear answers to all these all these questions oh, in life if yeah. I tell me about. It. <laughs> all right. So then, last one. Um, I'm sorry, I can't do your other one. Not with us. Ask an ask actual logical, like a good logical. There, we're running. We're running out of them. I got the. Dirty, how much does your dirty diaper cost? Do you put ass or titties in there? I mean, if yeah. we get logical with it, we can try to be logical with it. I mean, ass or titties is just like, it's a silly one these days because it's just like build the ass by the tits. I mean, it's, it's, you can have both. Like, yeah, but without, that, without that argument, who in their right fucking mind would, would take a pair of tits over a nice ass? I mean, it's just, you can't do as much with it. They're there to look at, but like you can't. You can, you, you can fuck tits, but like, who the hell wants to titty fuck over like actual sex? What if you get both? Well, you that's get, cool. You get best of both worlds. Happy for you, but it's you know, <laughs> not everybody can have that. <laughs> All right. Um, and for the last one of the day. From Sash Broth. What's up, Sash? Eating disorder. How to avoid being food focused in a prep. I mean, you're going to be food focused by the end. You just got to grit that shit out and try not to have an eating disorder going into prep to start with. You're going to be starving at the end, but I think the thing is, is just keeping your mind busy. Like, I mean, I watch food videos in my prep and my off season. Like, I watch people eat when I eat. It's like, it's just, that's how I am. But it's like, you're going to be hungry to a certain point. It's just about knowing it's temporary and it's not going to last. You're going to be like all the good food's going to be there. It's still going to be there after your prep. You're going to be able to eat it eventually. Um, I just think a big thing is keeping your mind busy. Like just staying busy with other stuff because it's going to take your mind off food. Then when it's time for your next meal, you're like, oh, I can finally eat. Yeah. And that, that applies to help with any aspect of prep. You know, like staying busy, you're just going to feel better. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've definitely been the guy that's sat on the couch and got high and cried my misery. But don't do that. 
it, it just makes prep longer, it makes it more miserable. You're not going to enjoy it. Get out, do stuff. I know you don't want to go on a walk, but go on a fucking walk. It's better than sitting on the couch. You know, go to, I don't know, fucking whatever. Like if your parents are going out to eat, go with them. Like, you know, you don't have to eat the food. At least you're going out and, you know, socializing, being around people. The more that you can be around people and the less isolated you can make yourself, the better you're going to feel. Even though when you're in prep, you really want to isolate. But the less that you let yourself do that, the less you know, closed off that you'll feel to everything. You know, prep is only really as bad as you make it. It's going to hurt regardless, but you can definitely make it a lot worse. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And I think there's there's like this uh, I feel sorry for myself uh, mentality. And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm hungry. I don't want to move. I can't walk. It hurts. You can do it. Yeah, like you chose to do it. Why are you wallowing in the pain? Like, go fucking do something. Get your mind off it. You know, like finish it out. It's not that bad. Most of the time, too, when people are saying shit like that, they're four and five weeks out. Motherfucker, it's a month. What are you yeah. worried about? Yeah. Like, it's one month. Chill out. <laughs> all right. Any anyone want to get anything else out before we finish it off? Hottie one, Derek, or I'm sorry, Derek one. Now you're going to be controversial, Ben. Shit. Shit. I better uh, better watch out for death threats. Dude, Derek's going to see this. He's going to confront you at the gym. No, I was kidding. I fucking misspoke. I meant to say Derek won. Hottie lost. Get over it. That yep. name, this is a sound bite directly to him. And let Hunter Labrada wear his hat when he wants to stage. Oh, yeah. God. yeah. Like, he's wearing a hat. Go fuck off. Oh. Gee. Like, some people wear costumes, and that's what they want to do. I he wants hat. Right. That's got to be one of the dumbest things I've ever heard anyone complain about in my entire life. I just like how negative of a person are you and how involved in other people's lives are you to take the effort to type multiple comments and then try to defend them because you're mad that someone wore a hat during guest posing. I I cannot relate. And I've been a pretty negative person in previous parts of my life, but like, holy fuck, you guys need therapy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know why he gets so much hate. I really don't. I don't either. I don't think he's ever done anything that like sparks controversy. I don't know why any people don't like him, but he gets a ton of hate on Instagram. I don't know why. Do you think it's because of the food video that he did? Like, I don't know, maybe two years back with the rice crispy, the drinking stuff. Yeah. Is that why, is that where it all came from? I don't know, dude, maybe, but like, why do you care? <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I don't understand why, if this man has to drink his food to stay the size that he is, why do you care? Like, it's like uh, I, it's people got to learn to respect the man in the arena. That's yeah. kind of what it comes down to. But all right, guys, thanks for joining us. Hopefully answered and gave you a decent bit of mix of laughs and stuff to think about with your own bodybuilding journey, your own lifestyle fitness journey. Obviously we mostly focused on bodybuilding this one because we got two pretty damn big bodybuilders on here with me today. And so we're going to capitalize on top of that, but we're going to get back to doing these regularly. Um, there's probably going to be different assortments of people on here just because we're all pretty fucking busy. So getting the typical four um, together, super consistently is hard getting even just us three together 
consistently is pretty hard. So combinations of different people and stuff, feel free to keep sending us stuff you want us to talk about because we like talking about this shit and we appreciate you. Have a great rest of the week. Go fucking kill shit. Don't bitch about dumb shit. Don't run more drugs than you need to, but run enough that you grow. (laughs) See you guys.